Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everyone, welcome to New Books Network. I'm Gadam Sulongkomer, the host of this channel. Today I'm here with Dr. Saros Koshi to talk about his book, Beyond Mission Day, Contesting Mission and Rethinking Witness. I think the title of the book itself got my attention personally because my work as an anthropologist also pertains to Christianity and animism. And also at the same time, beyond my thesis, I'm also very much interested in the area of interreligious dialogue. Recently, it was almost a year ago that I went to Chennai and had a very intense conversation with some theologians uh, in India about uh, the methodological perspective of the interreligious dialogue here in India. And that is where I can a lot and I have learned a lot from the theologians uh, here in India. And I think that was one of the very fruitful and intense moments that I have had uh, in, the, in the sense. So I think that is where this book comes into play or, or where, how. How, why I chose this book and, you know, uh, why I wanted to have a conversation on this because the aspect of mission and how we understand mission and how the, in any religion in that sense uh, understand the aspect of mission and conversion all the aspect is something which is very important. So today I'm here with the uh, author of this book, Beyond Mission Day, Dr. Soros Koshi, to talk about his work. So let me straight away go into the conversation and talk to Dr. Saros Koshi. So, Dr. Saros Koshi, can you tell us something about yourself? Oh, thank you, Tia. First of all, thank you for this opportunity, and this is wonderful to have this conversation with you. I was born and raised in a Christian family in Kerala, and uh, while I was in the college-level classes, the youth movement of my church and the student Christian movement of India that works in college campuses gave me a faith that uh, necessitates uh, you to be involved in various actions as an expression of your faith. And uh, that's how I got initiated to a life of activism ever since my college days. And uh, soon after my SEM time, I joined a group or became part of a group that uh, started with people who came out of the ACM experience, the Student Christian Movement experience. And uh, we had a major theme around which we organized our actions or activism or contemplations on theology and uh, social life in India or in Kerala in particular was... uh, what are the alternative patterns of mission, Christian mission, uh, that is relevant for India? So this is late 1980s and uh, 1990s to 2005. I was uh, while I was in India and Kerala, I was associated with this group and still do maintain my association. So that's where it all began, and uh, most of the explorations were with social action groups and social movements that were very vibrant at that point in in India, especially the fish worker movement in Kerala 
and uh, the Narmada Bachao Andolan, which was gathering steam in the late 80s and uh, was very strong in 1990s and continues to be so uh, through this time. So most of the alternative patterns of mission exploration was with uh, the uh, social action groups and social movements. And then I went on to work in many places in Delhi with a couple of uh, national networks. And then here in the United States uh, with the National Council of Churches, uh, especially with the Interfaith Department and the Faith and Order Department. Oh, that's quite a journey and experience that you have had. Uh, That's quite interesting. Um, I'm sure uh, now when you are explaining about that one, you have also kind of touched on how you came came to uh, with this book. So... Uh, can you elaborate more on the very idea of this book in a sense? How did this book uh, came about? And, you know, obviously you have had that experience with mission from before, but also at the same time coming to a point where uh, writing a kind of dense work like this, a very dense uh, scholarship work like this is significant in that sense. So can you elaborate more on that one? Thank you, T. I I set up uh, with mission itself as my starting point just because uh, to share that mission is not a new thing which came to me when I was doing my PhD, but mission was the theme that informed my life from the very beginning. So uh, I was struggling with this theme ever since uh, the middle of 1990s. Uh, Most of the theology in Christian stream could be seen as mission theology as sense, if you define mission as what Christians ought to do until Christ comes back or until the eschaton is upon us or the kingdom of God is at hand, that kind of a concept, if you think about that, uh, the mission theology defines everything in Christian life since the 1960, uh, from the 16th century when uh, the current paradigm of mission had its beginnings and ever since it strengthened and across the 20th century. But from the middle of uh, 1990s, as I said, uh, even though our life was defined and organized around the concept of mission, I came to feel that mission enthuses only a few people in that sense. Like uh, you, you feel like being in some kind of a mission other than your regular religious practices enthuses very few people and you should have another mode of operation to or other another mode of uh, insistence or another mode of uh, motivating people to be engaged with social life and uh, social life as an expression of their faith so that's how the theme of mission started to becoming complicated for me. But uh, later on, uh, when I started studying more, I started thinking the concept of mission itself is the problem. So that's that's the basis of how this book came through. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. So this book has 
a lot of chapter is like it has seven chapters in that sense and covers a lot of aspect now it has um you know you reflect on a lot of works by the both colonial thinkers but also at the same time uh philosophers outside of the uh, christian circle and also you uh you talk about even christians in that sense um people who have worked and thought about this aspect so it has like um, that kind of progression and the kind of uh, understanding that the book carries is very dense and very uh, intense in that sense so i have a couple of questions and let me try, let me also try to kind of take a progression in terms of how i question that is i i would like to start from history and then come to the come inside the christian circle in terms of the ritual and all the uh, nitty gritty aspects of uh, the christian aspect of mission so my first question will be in terms of history when we look at history now the the edinburgh 1910 the conference that we had uh, that was one of the significant even in the world christian mission in that sense but also going back when we uh, look at uh, mission from the, the the time of jesus itself you know from the time of disciples itself, and when we think about till today how is the aspect of mission change and what was the perspective of mission and how it has changed over the years if you look at the mission theology text they try to build uh, or uh, find a rational for continuing the current mission paradigm with the argument that there is a continuous process of mission beginning with jesus then to apostles then the early church fathers then all through christian history and coming to the present so the argument is a continuous one where you build a, an argument saying this is indispensable because this is from the beginning and uh, which is the first thing i try to address in my book uh, to say that uh, such an argument is unsustainable even for uh, mission theologians like david bosch actually says there is not much uh, evidence uh, to say that there is an incessant mission as we have from 19 uh, from the 16th century onwards as the current mission paradigm which is in swing and the fact is that the early church until 4th century grew exponentially even without uh, a vibrant or a industrial or insistent insistent mission activity during that time and that is accounted in most of the works like ramsay macmullen and many others including bosch himself acknowledges david bosch himself acknowledges there is no such uh, evidence to say that there is actually a, a mission uh, in the pattern of the 16th century onwards mission in the early church so this is something new which started in 16th century when colonialism has already happened across the world or has at least had its beginnings uh, portuguese was in india and uh, other uh, spaniards were in uh, latin america all those things have already started to roll on and then comes mission so this mission is something totally new and uh, not actually what happened in the early christian history and the second part of christian history is not a, is almost similar to the colonial history which we have when constantine joins the sword of the 
uh, empire and the cross goes together. So that's a totally different paradigm we have. So we don't have a straightforward uh, Christian mission the same way which we have now. I, I think I, I some, somewhat answered your question. Yes, yes. Now, uh, when when you are saying that, like the kind of um, the Christian mission that we have now, what is that kind of mission? What what is the method of this mission? Can you elaborate a little bit on that one? One of the major theme is you have a pre-existent entity, which is the Christian entity, which you beget through certain acts, which is not necessarily mission. So. I am a Christian because I do X number of things or N number of things uh, in uh, my church or in my Bible reading or any other ritualistic acts and observances. And then my mission is my second step addendum. So mission is a desirable addendum. Mission doesn't mean that I should be in mission, but it's a desirable thing if you are a Christian. Even otherwise, nothing happens to your entityhood as a Christian. So, uh, or what I do in mission actually doesn't inform my entityhood as a Christian. So it's in in both sense, there is no correlation uh, if you are in a mission or not. So that's the current paradigm of mission, which I try to revert by saying how a Christian becomes. Yeah, that is where you talk about the aspect of becoming, which we'll come to later on. Now, one aspect is also to think about the God's, God's relation with the world. So how do you understand in, in your work, how do you understand God's relation to the world in that sense? One of the first things I do uh, in the introduction chapter itself, uh, where I title it as In Search of Signposts for a New Theological Paradigm, is where I say the world is a textually produced place. Textuality by which I mean it's a discursive production. You don't have any access to any text that is pre-critical, which is you, you don't have actually an interpretation or a thought on how you produce a text. So even the revelation which you get, you get in a matrix of interpretation, a yearning for uh, God or salvation or whatever it is. Uh, this is a human labor which produces religions or uh, uh, understanding of God. And God actually envelops everything in my understanding that the whole, just as St. Paul says, we have our uh, being and we move in God. There is there is no outside of God or we, there is no standpoint from which humans can access or address God outside of God. You, you are within God, just like the psalmist would say, uh, in uh, 139 or any any of those kind of paradigms. So that's my understanding of God, where you you are enveloped in God. You 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 are inside. You 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 don't have an outside view of God. Yeah. So now moving ahead, when we talk about tradition, the Christian tradition, the scriptures play a very important role in that sense. Christianity very much relies on the scriptures that they have. So. 
Now, in terms of the Christian traditions that uh, the Christianity have, and in terms of the scripture that Christianity have, how do we think about uh, the tradition and its relation to scripture in that sense? How do we think about scripture also at the same time? You know, how do we, because obviously scripture, as you have said, uh, comes, you use the word textuality at the end. Uh, scripture also comes with a certain aspect of, uh, you know, way of trying to understand the culture and, you know, scriptures, all the scriptures place in different culture and different context means different things to people and also at the same time people come from a different perspective and try to understand scripture from the dis- different perspective. Also at the same time, the kind of, you know, interpretation and the kind of idea that we have about scripture also very much depends on the tradition that is very much attached to that is the Christian history and all of those aspects. So how do we understand this aspect in terms of the mission? Yes, scripture actually forms a constitution kind of thing where Christians become like uh, you cannot escape scripture in one sense or the other. Like you are uh, you are very much part of the scripture. and uh, But scripture in itself doesn't give you a current uh, paradigm there should be a certain correlation with between the context in which the scripture comes alive and the the scripture of the reader which who reads today so his and her context also plays a role in how you understand the scripture so scripture correlates both ways and the other thing is as you just uh, rightly mentioned scripture also is a textually produced uh, material and it gets its reverence and its uh, holiness by conferring it and by people observing it uh, as such and it it's it's otherwise it's like any other books but the book the book of scripture is not any other book because people confer the meaning to it and they get their meaning or their human becoming from the scriptures so scripture has to be read in really interpretative way like uh, i recently was saying to someone uh, dr mm thomas and uh, thomas tangaraj two the- uh, big name theologians in india have a small little book they created for the national council of churches in india uh, it's about interpreting the bible the first uh, first example they give is about the leviticus text which says if you have a wayward son who doesn't uh, heed to discipline or uh, uh, any other devices to make him right, take him to the uh, take him to the elders of your community and have them stone him, execute him, as such. But since we all are alive, we know no fathers would do that, and. Uh, so the notion of inerrancy of the scripture and uh, the the veracity is interpretative in that sense. Like it's not wrote uh, interpretation, uh, wrote uh, implementation of the scripture. Yeah, that's a good way of trying to understand the scripture in that sense. And also coming to the Bible as a whole, I mean, what many of the people understand is that in terms of the eschatology, right, uh, that there is a point in creation. Now, there is this the middle part where all the drama happens, and there is this end that is coming. Now, uh, in your work, you mentioned how we need to distinguish theology from eschatology. Now, what, what is your understanding on this one? How do you articulate this in your book in terms of distinguishing theology from the aspect of eschatology? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, thank you for that question because that that's one of the uh, underpinning uh, themes of my work where I draw this theme all across the book. Uh, uh, mission can be a teleology as such where mission is being perceived and presented as part of an eschatological vision where certain finality is going to happen and mission is a building block or a part of the uh, the end that is about to unfold and so we should have mission that's one kind of an argument and the on the other hand you cannot live as humans without having a sense of an eschatology or a certain sense of teleology you need both the only problem comes when you marry both together in a seamless way and that can be in any any sense even in the communist paradigm where you have an eschatological vision where this is the finality of human history then every step of the way the socialism communism everything becomes a teleological instrument to get to the finality where and in in christian or in a religious sense that becomes thoroughly problematic because there is no way to actually interrogate these perceptions because you these are affirmed that this is god given finality which you are working towards so there that's the basic issue with teleology and eschatology when it's married together otherwise you need a eschatology to decide what to do next but that what doing ne- what you do next is not at all what defines or depends uh, on the final outcome of human history or whatever comes at the end kingdom of god or whatever it is however we perceive it yes yes and coming to the aspect of human beings now uh, in your book uh, you mention this aspect called dual conversion in the sense of uh, conversion from self to god and from god to the world so what is your thought on this aspect of dual conversion and how do you kind of distinguish this form of conversion from self to god and from god to self what is the idea underlying this concept yeah the, the i was actually mentioning part of it earlier in to a question earlier uh, and it's actually comes from a sermon which uh, dr amon thomas gives at the princeton university here in united states and there he talks about how he first got converted to uh, god in christ and thereupon uh, with uh, uh, comprehending the social issues of the world like casteism colonialism and so many other ills of the society he got converted to the social aspects of it as an expression of his faith so there are two conversions in, involved in it and the problem with that as i said earlier is only few people like a thomas or a mandela or a tutu or few people feel that necessity to have the second conversion otherwise you can be converted to christ uh, just by saying it or any other formula which you would have and remain christian until your death and go in peace to the other side of the curtain without any social involvements as your expression of faith so that is the thing i am trying to problematize and get over with that i am trying to say there is only one conversion which can be had only in and through these social involvements which say what you mean by 
your hope and faith is in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And again, pushing further on the aspect of human in terms of institutions and all. So the process work is that individual disciple that is a Christian will have the commitment. Now, church is the institution which throws out the paradigm for mission in the sense. And, you know, they send people for missions, and all of those aspects. So in terms of institutions and in terms of an individual and in terms of the missions that uh, is conducted by the institution, in terms of calling, right? A person have a calling to go for mission. Now, uh, the institution now, what if a person have a calling that that person attaches himself or herself to that institution, which has the greater sense of calling, right? And the church, the institution, and also, will you say that there is a, there is a need to disrupt this kind of uh, perspective, or this kind of perspective is the way to go in the sense? As I was saying earlier, uh, being the church or being a Christian, uh, being a Christian and uh, church is the community or communion of Christians. Uh, so all these happens through a certain set of uh, ideas or uh, observances and uh, being in the world as such. And it has no reference or uh, any other uh, tethering to the social issues of this world and uh, the church as such seem called to send people because they feel that the church can be a church just by the other life they have so this is the being sending people for mission is a second step and if you look at all the churches in the world, not just one, my own or any U.S. or any any other church in the world, this notion of mission has turned every church into a giant conglomerate of NGOs. So for every particular issue, there is a send person. So the send person is a professional who works on it, and the church, its life is separate from it, and people feel salvific experience by just going to the church, uh, observing whatever they are asked to do in the church or just in the periphery of the church outside of what they do in from Monday to Saturday uh, in elsewhere. But that doesn't have anything to do with sending or being in the world uh, as a Christian. So that's where I bring in the concept of being and becoming. So it's a beingness of the church that makes this concept of mission possible. Yes. Now, again, coming to the human aspect only, I think there is this, um, I mean, in terms of the theology and how uh, these theological aspects are work uh, on, there are a certain group of uh, people who, uh, who feels the need that the social concerns are one of the primary concerns of, of a Christian, in the sense, a Christian community and all those things. So see, in terms of mission now, this plays a very important part as to, okay, do we focus on converting a person? Now, by converting, I mean converting to tell that person or to tell the community to confess to, that, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord and all those things. So there, there is this, like, confess this doctrinal statement or do we go to the root of, you know, do, to the root in the sense of, you know, doing some kind of uh, work which pertaining to the social issues. Do we go that root of, okay, 
social issues are more important than them converting or them converting is more important than the social issues. So uh, what is your thought in these two aspects? How do we, you know, juggle with those two aspects and how do we put these things together? Thank you, Tia. That's a beautiful question. And that's the question I struggle with the more, the most, uh, because uh, how do you confess Christ as Lord? That's the basic issue. Like it's not the either or question. So how do you confess Christ? So if uh, if you if the society has patriarchy or casteism or any other sort of an exclusionary measure, that particular regime, the regime of so patriarchy, the regime of uh, casteism, they are say essentially saying casteism is Lord, or Patriarchy is Lord. So the confession of Christ is an oppositional claim saying that neither patriarchy nor casteism or nationalism or anything you can think of is the Lord, but Christ is. So that is an oppositional witness which Christians have to make. And that I believe that if you make that boldly enough, prominently enough uh, for the world to see, that itself is the call for to Christ. So if there is someone seeing and witnessing what a Christian is doing in this area, that itself becomes the call for the non-Christian to have a call saying, here is a different way to become human and come follow Christ and become human in this way. Yeah, so adding on to that one, you also talk about the Augustine notions of original sin and you try to redefine this aspect. So how do you rethink about this Augustinian notion of original sin? Thank you so much. I I did that partly uh, out of the uh, necessity that uh, when you say everything in human life is textually produced, then immediately some people can say, Okay, then God is also textually produced. Uh, so how do you how do you get over that issue? And then Augustine's insight of original sin proves to be of huge uh, importance, and his uh, notion is spot on. I think where I say that humans have only few tools to think about any kind of organization, like uh, one is violence. The other is uh, violation and then then discrimination. So with violence, I say, think about making a sculpture. You are actually actually making uh, uh, enlisting pressure or violence upon a material to make it into a sculpture of your own. Or think about the domain of teaching. You, you are being trained to be a teacher tomorrow or maybe you're teaching even now. Uh, so the pressure you need to turn one student into a diamond uh, will pulverize another student. So you don't even know you are committing a sin upon someone else uh, just because you have your best interest for that student, but that student is pulverized because of your pressure on him or her. So that kind of a notion of sin, like sin becomes original in any of these fields and you cannot escape it. If sin is original, then the quest for salvation is also original. So you you cannot 
escape the quest for salvation. So even if all the religions of present day, like Christianity or any other religion, would vanish from the face of earth today, tomorrow people will start constructing new religions just because we, can, we cannot escape the concept of sin. And sin that thereby becomes original to human condition, which I term as the human predicament, as many theologians and philosophers have contemplated earlier on. And uh, that way, Augustine's thought is paramount in my thinking of sin. Yeah. Now, coming to one of your chapter, in one of your chapter, you unpack Matthew in terms of how Matthew disrupts the notion of mission. Now, I want you to kind of elaborate a little bit on uh, what you discuss in the chapter and what are some of the significant aspects in terms of Matthew and trying to think about mission. Thank you. That's, uh, that's again, a, another uh, important aspect of my work, and which is, I, again, I did it because of the necessity, because all the mission theology bases its... Uh, claim on continuing with the mission paradigm until eschatology because the final three verses of the chapter of Matthew is termed as Great Commission and uh, it says go out and uh, preach, teach and baptize the nations. So that's the understanding that solidifies the mission paradigm and how the whole New Testament and the Hebrew scriptures is read through a mission lens is as an inverted pyramid. So the final three verses of Matthew comes at the tip of the pyramid on which the whole inverted pyramid is very precariously balanced and the rest of the stuff goes above it. So everything is viewed through this lens, but there are other ways of reading, which I try to do is if you think of Matthew's gospel as an ellipse, which has two focal points, uh, two foci, and uh, if you think one foci as the Sermon on the Mount and the other as Last Judgment, then there is nothing missionizable in any of that. You cannot turn any of that into into a program or a project only thing you can do is have a reflexive living, where reflexivity and reflexive is another main aspect of my discussion, where the sign of life is reflexivity. So sign of death is actually tethered to something saying, this is what I am going to do till I die, or this is uh, how humans should be conducting their lives until the world ends. So that's kind of a sign of non-life and uh, a reflexivity is what defines life and God is reflexive and humans should be reflexive. Yeah. Now, before coming to your, the main thesis, the main core of the book, I, I want to ask you about this, uh, about the Great Commission in the sense, uh, obviously, which is there in Matthew, but also specifically pointing to this one. Now, there are verses on this one and people take this verse in the, in the literal sense of it, but also at the same time that the verse which comes in John, I think, uh, talks about, you know, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. So how, how do we understand this kind of, you know, a kind of like a very particularistic notion or very, you know, exclusive notion of uh, 
the religion and then the mission aspect of it where okay uh, since this is a very exclusive aspect then uh, one have to be right and then all the other will have to come into one of the umbrella something like that right so how do we understand this aspect yeah well, I guess there are plenty of uh, works that deal with these texts, uh, especially uh, Dr. Wesley Araya He was my doctoral mentor, uh, and uh, he has plenty of work, especially uh, addressing these texts you know, in John, where there are different interpretations given. Like uh, this can be an act of love, where you 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 are saying this to a particular people not not defined for the whole world just as uh, a confession of christ or a trinitarian view is the prerogative of the people who make the confession it it doesn't define the whole world so if i say the reality is trinitarian i have to live a life worth to making that confession likewise all these scriptural texts should be seen in that light, not as defining the other, but how it reflects upon you. Yeah, yeah. Now coming to the core of uh, the discussion and the core of uh, the book itself, that is, you say that we have looked at mission as a mission of the church, but then we'll have to we'll have to try to see it as a mission of God in the sense of you know you talk about the idea or the concept of mission and you you say that you know we should redeem the concept of witness in that sense because uh, you know sending or mission kind of gives the idea of movement of this uh, god from one spirit or another spirit you talk about the specialities and all of those aspects so um, expound this idea or the concept of witness in that sense how and why is it different from the idea of sending or mission or and how is mission of church different from the mission of god in your work thank you tia that's that's wonderful question and uh, uh, if you would recall i framed this whole uh, discussion in terms of how an entity is uh, uh, is becoming like how how entities come to be or sustain themselves and uh, then the notion of essence so in the modern sense, uh, as you, as an anthropologist or as a student of anthropology would know, uh, from 19th century onwards, most of the philosophers have problematized the concept of being. Like, there is no stable thing as being. And uh, a famous statement by Nietzsche would be, uh, deed is everything and doer is the fiction that be that's being added to the deed i'm paraphrasing uh, so deed is the whole thing and if that is the way it is and if you look through the heidegger and all these philosophers to derida derida uses being as a under erasure where you have to have that concept to discuss about something but at the same time you know it's improper so that he, he uses it under erasure and uh, so Mission, in that sense, is a performance where you actually say there is a being and that being is putting up a show or, a, or making a, an act, and which is not true in the philosophical or current understand, theoretical understandings, while the other witness is the way of becoming. So I become 
in my witness. So witness is nothing I do specially. I already have a witness. So the only thing I can do is I can contemplate on my witness, which I am not completely aware of. I should ask Tia, tell me how my witness is. So I need Tia or someone else to tell me how I am doing in respect of my faith and hope I profess in Christ. So witness actually is the performativity. So the mission is the performance of an already existing Christian, uh, accomplished and complete, while witness is something through which a Christian becomes Christian at every point of time. And that's a performativity that creates the Christian. So there is no Christian as such. At this point, when I'm talking to you, am I a Christian? That that can only be retrospectively answered. Uh, yes, I was a Christian, or you can say I actually witnessed a Christian in Sarosh in such and such point of a time, not at this particular point when I'm speaking with you. So only after the dust cloud of ambiguity settles, you know the actual witness of an entity, be it a church or an individual Christian. So there is Christian mission and perform, uh, witness is a diametrically opposite concepts in that sense. Yeah, that's that's really true. Now I just have two more questions. And since you, I mean, one of the very important concepts here is about uh, the human becoming here, which you talk about in, I mean, which we have been talking about in that sense. But uh, also now I want to be very particular about this one in terms of becoming. There are, in the area of uh, Christian doctrinal standpoints and, you know, Christian practice and rituals and all, uh, there are aspects where people will say that, okay, uh, to be a Christian and to be, to be fully accepted as a Christian, you will need to be baptized. Or uh, other might say that you, you will need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or you will need to believe this or you will need to do this, that, and all those uh, aspects are there. So in terms of becoming, right, how do we understand the belief and also the ritualistic aspect of the Christian community as a whole in terms of human becoming. Thank you, Tia. That's a very good uh, uh, point uh, on which I could maybe talk a little about my notion of essence. So religions always think they impart an essence to everyone in its fold. So be it Christianity, Islam, Hindu, uh, whatever religion it is, they think you impart an essence to everyone in its fold. And uh, the notion of essence is not absolutely lost. Like you, you need a certain form of essence to have any form of practice. So essence is, there is nothing as essence per, per se, but at the same time, to have any form of human practice, you need some idea of an essence where all these things you are talking about, baptism, uh, ritualistic practices, everyday Sunday services, all these are necessary for me to be a Christian. So that makes me a corporate uh, entity along with my church to have my practice as a Christian. So I cannot escape that and become Christian. I can be a Christian only in this community. And in the community, I stand before God in Christ and everyone else in this world. 
So that kind of a notion of essence is necessary. But when essence becomes problematic is when essence begins to crystallize into any any form of hard, solid brick, which you can then use to beat your neighbor's head off. And uh, that's happening in every sense. All this religious strife which happens is you think your essence is crystallized, absolute, and a given thing with which you go and hurt your neighbor or hate your neighbor, whatever uh, comes uh, good for you. So that's the point where you have to have a mechanism to decoagulate the crystallizing essence. So that's the point where you know when to relativize essence and tell your people, we do all this in reference to Christ and not in reference to us or in the church which we consider as absolute. Everything is Christ and nothing else. Yeah. Coming to the interreligious engagement and dialogue, uh, one of the areas which I am also very much interested and invested on. So in terms of the uh, thesis that you are proposing in this book of witness and becoming, how do we really think about uh, interreligious dialogue and discussion and also at the same time the idea of conversion itself? How do we really think about this one? Because I think in India, one of the very as- uh, debatable aspects is also this aspect of conversion in a sense and interreligious dialogue. So, yeah. Thank you. That's uh, an underlying theme and uh, I tackle it in the third chapter itself whereby I bring uh, Giles Deleuze into the conversation and say what brings uniqueness to a particular answer is the question, not the other way around. So if human predicament like the all-round prevalence of sin or the possibility of sin in everything humans do and the consequent cost for salvation is true, then uh, the human predicament becomes the question upon which all religions are kind of trying to have an answer. So if I as a Christian have to have my witness uh, affirmed, uh, ascertained, I have to actually be in conversation with my other who is not a Christian. I cannot do it endogamously. Within the clan, I cannot go around and say, how am I doing? I actually need someone else to tell me, am I a Christian? Just like the first Christians were called by someone else. It's not a self-adopted name. Somebody else called a group of people Christians. So that's the way it should be all through eschaton uh, until Christ comes back. And uh, that's my understanding in that sense. Interreligious dialogue becomes an inherent uh, conversation of being Christian. The other thing is about conversion. So if you are a Christian or any other religious uh, uh, person or even a secular ideology person, you know, like a communist or anyone else, your job is conversion. So you, you exist to convert. But how you convert, that's the... That's the issue between mission and witness. The conversion in the mission paradigm is a performance with of a pre-existing Christian entity, while the conversion of witness, uh, a performativity is a witness which uh, actually draws people to the fold. So we are 
converting everyone. Just think about the children born and raised in the community. We are trying to convert them. Uh, li- likewise, so many other things in the world. Uh, media is giving them so many things. Market is giving them so many things. They are also trying to convert them. So how do we convert? Can you just b- uh, convert them by dictate or convert them by some other lure? No, that's uh, that time is over and Christendom is no longer with us. So now we are in a different situation like the early church in the first three centuries where we have a lot of things to experiment and convert people. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. And my my questions are exhausted. So is there anything that I've missed out that you want to uh, kind of discuss uh, furthermore? Yeah, th- I, I guess we covered most of the things. And uh, one thing maybe uh, the theme of foreclosure, which I borrow, the major issue with mission I have, even with the mission I still identify with uh, the social action and other kinds of mission, what happens there is a kind of foreclosure. Foreclosure, as you would know, is a theme which Lacan and others have developed and Spivak, uh, Gayatri Spivak, uh, uh, enlisted for extensive work in her book, uh, Postcode, uh, post-colonial work and uh, that means uh, what you encounter in the other or in a situation is being foreclosed like you don't allow it to have an inscription on yourself or on your being and uh, you act as if that has not occurred so the conversion only mission people foreclose what happens in the lives of other faith traditions and the social justice, social action, mission people foreclose mostly the most pertinent things in their own context. So if I'm, I live in the uh, United States nowadays, so if uh, uh, Black Lives Matter is a serious issue in this point, uh, a church can skillfully get over it by saying, let us have a mission in Palestine for the Palestinian Christians. So what happens is you have a very radical mission in Palestine, but at the same time you escape the context in the United States. Uh, so mission actually works as a foreclosure mechanism in that sense. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So is there anything that you're currently working on? Yeah, I think I need to work a little more on the one of your questions about uh, uh, St. Augustine and uh, his notion of original sin and how I uh, try to re-employ it. Uh, in this book, it is only a uh, few pages, and I guess I need to uh, flesh it out into a full-fledged work, and currently I'm working on that. That that will be really interesting, yeah. That will be really interesting. So if anyone wants to reach out to you regarding what you have discussed in the book, how which is the best way, yeah. Uh, my email is the best way. Uh, my last name, Koshi, dot, first name, Sarosh, at gmail.com. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for the wonderful conversation and to the listeners. I think this is a very tense work in that sense and I think it will be a worth uh, picking up this uh, work and then going through it because a lot of uh, philosophers and theologians, you know, works have been discussed and really gone deep into and then, you know, explored this aspect of mission. So I think uh, this is one of the very interesting work in that sense. So thank you, uh, Dr. Saros Koshi, for being here in New Books Network and take care. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tia, for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you.